good to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Corey. I'm the transition pastor here at Kent Cove, and we are continuing this morning in a series called The Affirmations, and our texts come to us from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, which we call Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 20 through verse 24. It reads like this. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this morning we continue our series uh, called The Affirmations. For those of you who maybe haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, the affirmations are something that we have in the part, the denomination that we are a part of. We have what are called the covenant affirmations. And they are six affirmations of things that are kind of what form our core values as a denomination. And this morning we're going to be covering two of those values. We're going to be talking about the necessity of new birth and the church as a fellowship of believers. As we talk about that, there are a number of different ways we can go with it. The, the reality is, is that historically, when we think about what does it mean to talk about the necessity of new birth. Those of us who are church people, who are maybe raised in the church, who have been around the church for a long time, that's language that just makes sense to us, right? But if you're new to the church or you're just checking out church stuff and you don't have a background in it, it's kind of confusing, right? It's kind of like well, new birth, what are we talking about? And historically, new birth means or is referring to what we would call conversion, or in another kind of insider language phrase that we like to use, coming to Christ, or giving our heart to Christ. And at its simplest and most basic, uh, this is that moment when someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, right? And there are a lot of different ways that depending on what part of the church you grew up in or are familiar with, a lot of different phrases that we use to talk about that. We talk about new life in Christ. We talk about asking Jesus into our heart. We talk about making a decision for Christ. All of these things, right? And that in its most basic sense is what we're talking about. This idea or this um, recognition ultimately that Jesus loves us and wants us to follow him. And because we choose to do that, because we um, recognize that reality, then we're invited into this new life. Now, one of the challenges that we have is that 
oftentimes in the church, the way we talk about this and, and the ideas we have around it kind of stop there. In fact, in a lot of, uh, or in many places, it seems like that all we care about is getting people to say the words or to pray the prayer because we just want to see people come to Christ. The interesting thing is, and I'm about to step on somebody's toes, the interesting thing is, is that's not how Jesus talks about it. Jesus invites people to follow him, right? Jesus never invites anyone to pray a prayer to ask him into their heart. He invites people to follow him. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute, but I I just wanted to point that out as that's kind of the, the basic baseline, right? Is that this idea of recognizing who Jesus is, what he did, and, and, and deciding to follow him with our lives. That's what we mean when we talk about new life in Christ. Now, the second affirmation that we're going to just bounce off of real briefly this morning is called um, the church as a fellowship of believers. Now we're really deep in the insider language, okay? <laughs> The church as a fellowship of believers, this is the one affirmation that I feel like we have to do some work around. Uh, We're not going to do it this morning because it's much bigger than just this. But basically, this idea, you have to recognize kind of the historical context of where our tribe, our denomination comes from. Okay, so the Evangelical Covenant Church, the denomination to which we belong, started in Sweden in in the mid to late 1800s, okay? So Sweden is, had at that time what is called the, was called the state church, it was Lutheran in nature, and everybody was a member. In fact, if any of you have taken any philosophy courses, you might remember hearing uh, the, a, a quote from the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, who once said that even the cows in Denmark are Christian, Right? And what he meant by that was, quite frankly, that if you're born in Sweden or Denmark or England or really anywhere in Europe at that time, you were a member of the church whether you made any kind of conscious decision about that or not. And so when our forebears were deciding how it was that they wanted to gather, they wanted to be very specific to say that you're not a member of the church just because you were born in a particular parish or zip code, that you can only be a formal member of the church if you have made a conscious decision to follow Christ, okay? Now, as I said, there's some work we need to do around that, because that's not the system we live in anymore. That's not kind of the, the assumption that, that our culture is making, and we don't have time to do that this morning, but I wanted to just call that out. Now, one of the unique things about us as a denomination as a tribe, the Evangelical Covenant Church, is this idea of that while we recognize that the church is a fellowship of believers, we also um, recognize that we don't agree about everything. We'll talk about more about that when we get to freedom in Christ. But one of our forebears said this about church membership. They wrote that the doors of the church should be wide enough to admit all who believe and narrow enough to exclude those who do not. Now again, I want to be careful to point out, we're talking about formal church membership here, not just participating in the life of the community, because we want people who, wherever they are on their faith journey, to participate in the life of our community, 
right? But when we talk about membership, formal membership in the church, our forebears were very careful to say that the doors of the church are wide enough to admit all who believe, it's a pretty wide door, and narrow enough to exclude those who do not. You notice what they didn't say. They didn't say the doors of the church are wide enough to admit those who believe the following doctrinal confessions, right? No, the doors of the church are wide enough to admit all who believe in Jesus. That's a wide door. And it means that life is going to be messy because, because what uh, one person who believes in Jesus believes about this doctrine or this theology or this scripture and what I believe about it might be very different. But that's where we get to sit down at the table and to have that rich conversation and challenge one another with scripture in a loving, safe way. Not to measure anyone's spirituality or whatever, but to simply grow together. So I just wanted to point that piece out. But what I really want to focus on this morning is this idea of new life in Christ. And we read these four verses from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians that are so important. But I, I think before we talk about that, I want to just recognize something, because maybe it's a challenge for us. Paul writes in this text, he says that, he talks about the life that, that the Ephesians had learned when they heard about Christ and were taught about the truth in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, and that they had to put off their old self and be made new in the attitude of their minds and to put on the new self. That's kind of where I want to spend my time this morning. But I want to recognize that this can be challenging. It can be challenging for those of us who maybe didn't grow up in the church and we're just now checking out and exploring what this church thing might mean and who Jesus was and how that works and all of that. And you are welcome here with your questions and, and as you explore that journey. And, and maybe for some of us, it's been, we've been Christians for our, or basically our whole lives. And we struggle because we see how the church has gotten off course in so many different ways, especially in these last several years. We have things happening and, and divisions happening that, that have not been seen in, this, in the church in this country for, well, some scholars say that even since the Civil War, that we are more divided now than we were then. Now, that made me think of something. Um, I had a conversation a while back where a friend asked me why I continue to do what I do. Why, do you, why are you still a pastor? Now, it's, it's been a road. It's been a long journey, right? I've been at this for over 25 years. And some of those years were not easy, believe it or not. Just recently, a couple years ago, I was working in the wine industry. That's a different story for a different day. But one of the things that was interesting about my journey in wine 
was I would be with customers, with guests, and having conversations, and, and I um, followed the rules, right? I followed the rules of you don't talk about politics, religion, or sex <laughs> when you're doing sales, right? And, but the challenge for, for me was is that the particular winery that I worked at was, um, was kind of the kind of place where you go and you sit down, and I was with guests, usually if they came in for a tasting, I was with them for no less than an hour and a half. Now, the longer the conversation goes, right, the more questions get asked. And people would ask me and about what I did before, how did I come, you know, all these questions. And what was interesting to me is of all the conversations I had, I heard a lot of people who had, who had absolutely no interest in the church. And it was either just they had no interest or they had strong non-interest, if you catch my drift, in the church. Or they had been wounded by the church. Um, but regardless of where they were in relationship to the church, I had so many conversations of people who were fascinated and compelled and drawn to Jesus. Regardless of whether they had, they, they had antagonistic feelings towards the church or evangelicalism or whatever it might be, or if they had been wounded by the church, there was still something in Jesus that drew them. And so as my friend asked me why I still do what I do, that is the answer that I give. There are plenty of things that I'm not interested in. But Jesus still captivates my heart. Jesus still captivates my, my imagination. Jesus still compels me to want to understand how it is that God loves us so much that he would send his son to earth. That, friends, is compelling. That, friends, is the reality. And I want to get into this verse a little bit. Paul talks about in this letter, he says, put off the former things and then put on the new self. Put off, put off your former way of life or put off your old self and put on the new self. And I think this, for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, or those of us who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, this is a key idea. Because it goes against that idea that, well, we just pray a prayer one time, and then we're a Christian, and everything's good. Right? But the, the language that Paul uses here, the, the tense of the verbs are continual action. So in other words, it's not so much that Paul said to the Ephesians, well, you once prayed the Jesus prayer, so now you're okay, right? No, he said, no, you have to put off the, the old self and put on the new self, and the verb tense was a continual action. In other words, this is a practice. This is something that you have to live into. This is something that takes every day of your life. It's like getting dressed. The, the, in the Greek, the words that are being used here are literally talking about putting off an old garment and putting on a new garment. It made me think of it's, it's fall now and, and the kids are 
back in school, and it made me think of um, back when I was a kid, you know, I had an older brother, so a lot of my clothes were hand-me-downs, which is fine, but the one thing that I did get new, usually, because we were hard on them, was jeans. And every year, you know, in the fall, I'd get at least one new pair of tough skin jeans. Anybody remember some tough skins? These were the most uncomfortable jeans you ever put on (laughs) when they were new, right? I mean, these were like some kind of strange, um, you know, denim and chemical treatment that we probably don't want to think about. But when you first put them on, they were like stiff and hard and uncomfortable, But the more you wear them and break them in, then all of a sudden you start to get comfortable in those clothes. And I think that's kind of what Paul is talking about. He's talking about the idea that, well, we have to put away the old self and put on the new self. We have to choose daily to follow Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 23 that we need to be made new in the attitude of your minds. One commentator said this, that the Christian converts are to undergo a radical reorientation of their mental outlook. To be made new in the attitude of your minds, this can only take place under the influence of the Holy Spirit acting on the human spirit as it affects the realm of thought. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. What is the most informing or forming attitude of your mind? That, friends, is a, is a hard question. And it, and it may reveal some things. Right? What is the most informing or forming? What is most forming or informing the attitude of your mind? Friends, the difficult truth these days is that there are an awful lot of Christians who spend more time watching Fox News or CNN or MSN or Max News, or whatever it is, than they do in the Word. And it's forming their minds. And it's informing the attitude of their minds. Or maybe it's some other form of information that's forming the attitude of your mind. I don't care what it is. The reality is, is what Paul is talking about here is it takes a conscious decision to put on the new self, to be renewed in the attitude of our minds. And the way we do that is to, is to be steeped in Scripture and to follow Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. About five years ago, I had a major depressive episode And uh, through a lot of different ways of of dealing with it, and depression is something that I've journeyed with for my entire life. And so one of the things I did to um, help move forward in this episode that I had a while back was to take this class called Mindful Mood Management. Sounds very kind of, you know. But I'm telling you what, there's some scriptural basis here 
because one of the things they talked about in this class was to be consciously aware of what I'm thinking, what I'm, the decisions I'm making, the attitude of my mind, what's informing the attitude of my mind. And so as I was working through the issues that I was having, I remember one day coming home from work and Gretchen asking me how I was doing and I just said, I am so exhausted. I said, do you know how exhausting it is to take every thought and examine it? Is this reality? Is this the depression talking? Is this truth? Or somewhere in between? Right? And when we do that, though, all of a sudden we start to recognize, oh, I'm making up stories in my head about what is reality. We see this all the time, right? I mean, this is why it's so important that we recognize what's informing or forming our minds. Is it the truth of Jesus or is it some news network? Is it the truth of Jesus or is it some you know, keeping up with the Kardashians. Where did that come from? You know what I mean, right? Is it spirit or scripture? Is it the truth of Jesus? To be made new is not just to be refurbished or refreshed. Paul tells us elsewhere in the New Testament in the, in, uh, that when someone is in Christ, there is a new creation. And I used to always hear that verse as a kid, meaning that I was made new. That's not what Paul says in that text. What Paul says in that text is, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Not a new human, a new creation. In other words, when we understand when we accept God's invitation in Jesus, we are transported from one reality to a different reality. We are transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There is a new creation. Richard Rohr says this, he says, after conversion, you don't look out at reality, you look out from reality. Friends, one of the dangers and the reasons that I point out the fact that when we accept Christ's invitation, it's not just that we pray to prayer and we're done, is because um, we have to recognize that the journey of faith simply begins there. And God invites us into this whole new reality and way of being in the world that we can only experience in Jesus. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, wrote and talked about this idea of, you know, I think a lot of times we focus so much on that first decision because we're so concerned about, you know, ultimate realities. Dallas Willard says that it's better, he would rather have insurance on a car that runs than one that doesn't. In other words, it's great if you pray the prayer and you know you're going to heaven, but if you spend the next 80 years miserable and your life is a mess, how good is that? That's not the gospel. 
That's not what Jesus said in John 10. John 10, Jesus says that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And he wasn't talking about material things. He was talking about living in the kingdom of God. Then Paul goes on to say that we are, um, in verse 24, that we are created to be like God. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, here's the reality. We are invited into a whole new way of life. And this righteousness and holiness that God invites us into happens not through our effort. It happens through the sacrifice and work of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's so much more that we could say, but I really want to push in on this one point. One author writes this. He says that when we focus on the gospel primarily as another world to come after we die, we are missing a massive part of the story. What is the gospel? It is the tangible life of God flowing into every nook and cranny of our everyday life. And when this other world life shows up, even in the smallest form, it is attractive and people unconsciously move toward it like thirsty horses stumbling toward a watering hole. Friends, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're just checking this church thing out. Maybe you're just exploring uh, church because you're not really sure why. But there's something about Jesus that's compelling. There's something about Jesus that just draws you in. But maybe there are stories, maybe there's experiences that you had in your life with church or with Christian people that weren't good. Or maybe there's ideas in your head about who God is that, that turn you away from the church. Friends, let me set, help you set those aside this morning. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Jesus did not look like a professional religious person like you have standing before you this morning. Jesus looked like a radical who walked on the fringes. who walked on the fringes seeking and restoring and healing the broken
the outcast, the unacceptable. Consider him your invitation to a new reality. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been in the church so long that you've forgotten that that's who Jesus is. And friends, we're good at this. We put up walls that Jesus tore down. We put up barriers that Jesus never intended. We don't mean to sometimes. Sometimes we do. But maybe your invitation this morning is to meet anew the rebel Jesus who gets accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because of the company he keeps because he's more interested in the lost getting found than he is in keeping rules that other people made up. And so if we are putting those walls up, then we would do well to remember that Jesus wants them torn down. And we would do well to remember that our forebears who founded this denomination were very careful to say that the doors of the church are wide enough for anyone who believes in Jesus. Friends, that is a wide door. And it is my prayer that we would accept his invitation and enter that new life. Whether it's the first time we've walked through that door or the millionth. And if you have questions or you want to have conversation about that, please come and find me. Hit me up on email. Call the church office. Talk to me after whatever or any of the staff. Because the reality is, is the only reason this place exists is to introduce people to Jesus. Amen.